Uh, tonight we are in the uh, uh, seventh commandment. We're get, we get to the seventh commandment uh, tonight. We're going through the Ten Commandments. We're studying through the book of Exodus, verse by verse. And we've come to this section in chapter 20 of Exodus where God is giving new law for a new tribe. The, the children of Israel, they're God's special people, and he's going to separate them from all the nations in the world but he's giving them these moral laws. We saw them in the first six. They're divided into, the Ten Commandments are divided into tablets. There's four tablets in the first set of commandments. They all have to do with God's law or our love to God word. It's no other gods, no other idols. Never use God's name in vain and keep the Sabbath holy. Those four laws have to do with our relationship individually with God. The next six commandments, and we launched into those a couple of weeks ago, number five is honor your parents. Number six is do not murder. Last week we talked about that, and tonight we get the seventh. It's, uh, I've entitled it The Sanctity of Marriage. Now, really quick, I don't see any little ones in here, so I guess my warning isn't appropriate, but if you have a child, uh, you won't want them to hear some of the things that I'm going to talk about. We're going to talk about adultery. We're going to talk about human sexuality because that's what this commandment involves. And so I'm not going to shy away or, or run from it, but hide your kids. <laughs> My quick little PG warning here for you tonight. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll launch into our Bible study. Father, we're grateful that we have the word, your word, Lord. And I pray that tonight you will teach and instruct us from your word, that you would put a desire in our hearts. As I've been praying this week, Lord, that, that you'd put a desire in the hearts of your people to hunger and thirst for the word, for the truth of your word. And so as you confront us with the word tonight, it's your word, Lord, and as you correct us by your Holy Spirit tonight, I pray that we would not only understand the truth of your word, but we'd embrace it wholly and completely. Teach us now as we open your word. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Our text tonight is very short, as you can very well see. If you look at verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. That's the text tonight. Adultery or infidelity, unfaithfulness, extramarital affair, some call it hanky-panky. Some call it a fling, two-timing. There's a lot of different words, but, but God sees it as one way alone. It's a sin against him. It's a sin against him. And he calls us as his people, you shall not commit adultery. Again, the seventh commandment really defines boundaries of our sexual activity as people. That's what this commandment really is about. You shall not commit adultery. It's our obedience in this area of human sexuality. Listen, it's our obedience in this area that becomes really an important index of who we are as a believer. If you obey this area, absolutely, unequivocally, if you obey this, really is an index of who you are and where you are in your maturity as a Christian. There are a lot of Christians that fail in this area, a, a, a lot because of our culture. But I want to take a look at this topic. I'm going to break it into kind of two sections. We're going to look at the Old Testament principle and what the Old Testament says about adultery. And then we're going to take the New Testament application of this commandment, the seventh commandment. So we're going to start right now with the adultery in the Old Testament. So I want you to move back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. Go to Genesis chapter 2. We're only given one little statement about adultery, but I want to teach you about it from the Old Testament text here, Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18, it says here, in the very earliest book of the Bible here in Genesis, we get the sanctity of of marriage. And the Lord God said, verse 18 of Genesis 2, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. 
Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the air, every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. So God's doing a couple things here. He's allowing Adam to be a part of his creative process by naming the animals. Can you imagine? I see Jesus Christ incarnate, sitting on a log with Adam. Adam is like a little child looking at a a squirmy little caterpillar. Adam, what would you name that? And then a hippopotamus comes across this view. What are you going to name that, Adam? Can you imagine the fun that would have been for not only Jesus, not only God, the creator, enjoying man in his perfect, sinless state, Adam, in his created state without sin, and allowing him to... But but actually for Adam, because Adam is learning something in this. He's learning that... um, they're fat, they're tall, they're hairy, they're big, they're small, they're small, but they're not like me. That's what God is teaching Adam here. And so, but for Adam there was found no helper. He's looking for someone comparable to him. Verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And God performs surgery here. He took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said this. He's been naming animals, naming animals this whole time. And now he's going to say something about what God has just, the woman. He sees a woman. So he's been naming animals. Now he's going to name the woman here. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She's like me. She shall be called woman or womb man. She's, she's human, but she has a womb because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become ekod, ekod, two that become one flesh. Now, Genesis 1, chapter 1, is all about God giving life to his creatures, creating the universe and giving life to his creatures. Chapter 2, he creates woman for man, for Adam. And this is the first wife. This is the first husband and wife. This is the first marriage. This is God instituting this godly relationship of one woman, one man for a lifetime of monogamy that we call marriage. God has defined it. God has made it. That's why Christians, evangelicals, get so upset at the world when they try to redefine everything with gender, trying to redefine what a man and a woman. It's really the feminization of our culture. It's been going on for 50 years. You, you can trace it back to the 50s and psychology and the feminist movement. I won't go into all of that. But the truth is, is that God has instituted this wonderful uh, relationship in marriage. And by understanding it, you and I can gr- gain great benefits for life. A lifelong partner, someone to help you when you're down, someone to pick up when they're down, Someone to, to uh, pray for you when you're being a blockhead like me. I need a woman to pray for me. And someone that you can help and assist and go through life with, a partner. A, a marriage is a beautiful thing. God has created it. It's created for a bond. It's created to be unifying, husband and wife. The old relationship that Adam mentions, or pardon me, Moses comments on here in verse 24. Notice what he says. Therefore, a man shall leave who? His father. So you're born into a relationship with parents, but you leave that relationship. That's what marriage is. You have to leave the the parent-child relationship for a new relationship, a husband and wife relationship. The old relationship of parent-child is replaced with a new relationship, husband and wife. God joins man and wife together in unity. He bonds them together. In other words, there was a separation, parent-child, and there was a bonding, husband and wife. That's God's design. That's God's uh, uh, design for marriage. 
then you have the sexual union or you consummate that marriage. You go to a wedding. Everybody knows they're going where? Where are they going to go after the wedding? No, not to just the hotel. They're going to go on their honeymoon, but we all know what they're going to do in their honeymoon. And the, the Jews, they have this wonderful ceremony. I love the, the a Jewish wedding. They dance and they sing. And if, if you read about the uh, uh, time of Jesus, it went on for like a whole week. There, everybody would come. The family would come into town. It was gonna, it's going to be on during, sometime during the week. And the family would get together, and they would be all excited. And Uncle Harry and Aunt Margaret or whoever, they're all showing up, and they're partying this whole time. And they would always have the wedding near what's called the bridal chamber. And then in a Jewish wedding, you know, they, they take two glasses. They put them on the floor. They put, uh, if, if any Jews in here, you, you've seen this. They put a, a piece of cloth over it, and they stomp on it. And that's, okay, we're, now we're married. And then they go into the bridal chamber, and everybody goes, okay, we're going to go have dinner. See ya. And everyone knows that the two are going to become one flesh. It's the sexual union, that bonding that God expects in marriage. And notice that children don't make a family. A husband and wife make a complete and total family. Children are, are an addition to the family. And the more you have, the more busy your family's going to be. But your family is just as whole, husband and wife, complete. That's what God designed marriage to be. And so the consummation of that marriage is very sanctimonious. God wants it to be separate. He wants you and I to understand how important it is. God has set marriage apart. He's made it a sanctity. That's why I've called it the, the sanctity of marriage here tonight in our study it's, it's a sanctity of both the marriage and the sexual relationship between the husband and wife. And just think about Satan. He has, from chapter 3 in Genesis, tried to mess it up. But you remember the prophecy, the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. Going to smash your head. I mean, that's really the prophecy if you read about that in Genesis 3. And he's tried to ruin it. If you follow Satan's plan, he's tried to ruin marriage and he's tried to pervert sexuality in so many different ways. And, and even today, right? We see it all the time. He, that's Satan doing that, by the way. So in this sexual relationship, in this marriage relationship, very important, to commit adultery is to violate the sanctity of, that God has established. You're violating God's law when you do this. It's a very, very serious offense. Now, again, as you read the Old Testament, there are many examples of sexual immorality. Why? Because the Bible is a book that's real. The Bible doesn't hide anything. It's not a myth. The Bible's true. There's real people, real sinners, real struggles. And then God intervenes in the life of these people. It's, it's an amazing book the way it all ties together, but there are many examples of sexual immorality. Probably the best one, or the best known one, not the best one, but the best known one in the Old Testament is that of Israel's greatest king, David. David and who? Who is it? Bathsheba. See, we, everybody knows that. We know, we know this, this uh, extramarital affair that was brought about by the king. How does a woman reject the king. How does the woman say no to the king? That would have been a very difficult thing for Bathsheba. He, he, he overruled his authority, David. But we all know about David's adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Now, the scripture tells us that Nathan came. David thought he hid it all. He murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, in battle, as you know. And he thought everything was good, but he felt bad the whole time. He was convicted by God. God was working in his life. And then Nathan the prophet came to him, and he revealed his sin to David, as you know. And that's when David prays. One of the greatest prayers, one of the greatest psalms in the Old Testament is David's confession of his sin. And this is a scripture, my wife talked to me about, there was a situation, counseling situation just recently, and I said, this is the scripture, honey, that you need to read. 
This is the one. Uh, adultery is another forgivable sin. Listen, don't, don't turn me off here if this is something that's happened in your life. It's forgivable. I'm going to get to that at the end of the study. But notice the confession of David here behind me on the screen. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Who is David talking to? Is he talking to Uriah or Bathsheba? Who is he talking to? God. Because he has violated, and he knows it. He knows the law. He knows that adultery was wrong. Well, they didn't really understand adultery was wrong. That's why they did it in the Old Testament. No, they knew it. They knew it from the very beginning. From the very beginning. That's why I established that in Genesis chapter 2. God established one woman, one man for a monogamous, lifelong commitment to one another. That is God's desire. That is his plan. When you go outside his desire and plan, there's all kinds of trouble, as we'll see. And in David's life, there was all kinds of trouble until he confessed his sin. So David prayed to God. He knew his sexual uh, infidelity was wrong. It was adultery. It was an act of sin. It was an act of disobedience against God. So David, he wasn't denying his sin against Bathsheba. He had totally dishonored this woman. There's no doubt about that. He, he wasn't denying his sin against Uriah, as I've said. He's affirming the first and foremost his sexual impurity before God. How do we deal with sin, Christian? Straight on. If it's adultery, you deal with it. You confess it to the Lord. If it's stealing, you can, that's next week. If you lie, whatever it is, you, you've got to confront what is going on in your life and confess it to the Lord. And when you do, when you do, it's, it's glorious, forgiveness, grace. Grace is greater than any sin. I know that many of you have, have uh, experienced the wonderful grace of God. So there's a, a link between our obedience to God and our sexual purity. As we, as we follow God, obey God, do the things that God wants to do, especially in this area, we're going to be sexually pure. God's going to pour out blessings in your life, like the man Joseph in the Old Testament. So we see David, that's kind of the darkest uh, view of sin and, and adultery. But then we have this bright, shining star, Joseph in the Old Testament, a great example of sexual purity. Joseph was a young man. He had all the desires that any young man has. He lived far from his family. He lived in a foreign country. So it would have been easy for him to just say, you know what, I, I'm just going to do this because nobody's watching, nobody sees. I'm, I'm, thousand, I'm a thousand miles away from home. would have been easy for him. Yet he yielded. He held his hand out. He said, stop, when it came to this area and the advances of Potiphar's wife. Turn to Genesis chapter 39 in your Bible. Let's just look at this really quick. Just, just go forward to Genesis chapter 39. Follow with me there at verse 7. Genesis 39, 7. We're going to see Joseph and his response. Genesis 39, verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes, ladies, those long eyelashes, on Joseph. And she said, hey, Joseph, you want to have an affair? No. Look what she says. She's bold. Look at that. Lie with me. Wow. Man. But he refused and said to his man, right away, there's no, there's no, well, is anybody watching? Well, gee, we can, can we go in the closet? No. No. Right away. He's purposed in his heart, just like Daniel, by the way. He, he says, He refused, and he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what it is with me in the house, and he's committed all that he has to my hand. I can do whatever I want here at home. I'm, I'm ruling here at home. And there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, but you, because you are what? His wife. His wife. That's the key. Joseph knew that Adultery was sin against God. This is another man's wife. He goes, this, you, I, I can't do this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verse 10, so it was. As she spoke to Joseph, 
day by day, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. Can you imagine that he did not listen to her, to lie with her and to be with her? Again, Joseph is, is a great example, and his character, it reveals really some important truths. Number one, he understood and respected God's law. He understood it. He, he knew it. He saw marriage as an exclusive relationship and that no one should, should break that bond. He understood that clearly. Number two, we can see from his words here that he believed that adultery was not only wrong, but it was a sin against God. It was a sin against... Look at verse 9 again, the end of verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And then number three, the immediate result in Joseph's life was painful for him. I mean, it, it took courage. He, he stood against the wife of his boss. And so... Can you imagine? I, I mean, it's not recorded in the scripture, but all the commotion she made, not only that day in front of, I mean, the, the big play, the big drama, the big farce that she put on in front of all the people, but, but when her husband came home, can you imagine how she carried on and she let her makeup run and she cried, she probably made her hair all messy, look what he's done to me, he's ruined me, you know, and can you imagine? What a joke, what a what a farce. She lived this farce, but it, it was painful for Joseph, but it didn't matter. He knew that he would do the right thing. He lived by the rule of God. He obeyed God's ways. He understood the sanctity of marriage. Now, again, as we read through the Old Testament, the Israelites know that they shouldn't commit adultery. They already know this. And I'm going to show you really quickly, if you go to, uh, well, let me just throw this, the, the verses up here on the screen, Exodus 22:16. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. So the dowry, he would be responsible to pay the dowry and to marry her. That was that law in Exodus 22. Leviticus 18. Verse 20, moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. In Numbers 5, this is an interesting one. There's a test given. A, a man that suspected his betrothed wife of committing adultery before they were married could take her to the priest. And the priest would do this kind of strange little thing to determine if the wife had been unfaithful or not. He would have her drink water. And here it is, Numbers 5.27. So it's lengthy, but notice. When he has made her drink the water, then it shall be if she has defiled herself and behaved unfaithfully toward her husband, that the water that brings a curse will enter her and become bitter. And her belly will swell and her thigh will rot. And the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean and she drinks that water, then she's going to be whole and conceive children. Kind of a strange thought, but here's, here's the gist of what I'm saying. The Old Testament people knew the law of God. There's no excuse for them. They knew that adultery was wrong, and the scriptures make that very clear. So adultery in the Old Testament, wrong. Secondly, tonight, this is my second half of the message, adultery in the New Testament. When Jesus was on the earth, he looked at the culture around him and the people he saw the Pharisees and scribes. They were very wicked. This is what he says in Mark 8, 38. This adulterous and sinful generation. Now, if Jesus saw this culture in his day as adulterous and sinful, how would he view our culture? What do you think? Wow. Wow. What would he say to our culture? Now, we live in a, a world or a culture in America today, you can find all kinds of statistics. As you know, if you do a Google search on anything, 50% of all men say they've committed adultery. Interesting. Researchers estimate that nearly two-thirds of married men will commit adultery before the age of 40. Wow. 41% of married women, women also say they are guilty of this sin. Someone said, avoiding the temptation of adultery is like a fire. 
when it first starts, it can be put out rather easily. But if we don't act immediately, a fire can quickly burn down the house and everything in it. It's the way it is with sexual sin. Sad to say, I mean, it breaks my heart to say this, but this affects pastors as much as parishioners. I have some friends. I've been in the ministry 32 years in Calvary Chapel. I have some friends that have failed in this area. It's, it's really tragic. What if, what if the pastor that married you committed adultery? How would that make you feel as a married person? Would you feel less married because the pastor that married you committed? I mean, think about that. When I see these kind of things, I, it brings terror to me, and I pray all the time, Lord, I would rather die than, than cause this stain on your name. And I know that even saying that to you tonight, I've got a bigger target on my back. Satan's going to be after me. I am grateful for the relationship that I have with my wife. I, we, we love one another, and we express that love as often as we can. Enough said. But I am so grateful for that relationship. It's, a, it's an important part of, of our lives. And listen, guys, this is important. Men are, are subject to this sin with the, you know, you read Proverbs, it's the flashing eye, it's the, the pursuit with a word of a woman or, or maybe your pursuit of a woman. It, it's, it's damning, it's damaging. There's so many people that are hurt because of it. Adultery is destructive. My next point here is, is again, adultery, according to the New Testament, it's a sin against your spouse. When a man and a woman marry, they become one flesh, Genesis 2. We looked at that already, but when either one of them commits adultery, by joining with a person outside of that bond of marriage, they've broken it. And when you break that kind, when you betray that kind of trust with your mate, I tell you what, I, I, I counseled many, not some, but many, that have gone through that. And it's rare, it's really rare that that woman ever gets over because in her memory, there are smells and sights and words. You were committed, you told me you loved me, you told me you were committed to me and you did it. I'm never gonna trust you again. I don't, it doesn't matter when, how often you tell me you're committed to me. It's so damning, it's so damaging. It's a sin against your spouse. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, look at this verse behind me. Or do you not know that he is joined with a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Sexual immorality breaks the bond of marriage. Adultery affects the spouse and produces unbelievable heartache. I've seen it. It doesn't go away in a month. It doesn't go away with talking to a pastor or praying with your friends. It's a scar that stays a long, long time. It can be forgiven. And I stress this with my sisters who have gone through this with an unfaithful husband. Sister, you have to have the grace of God. You cannot do this on your own, forgiving your spouse, but you can do it as a result of the Holy Spirit in you. That's where we need the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit. Brothers, you need the Holy Spirit for self-control. Sisters, you need the Holy Spirit for forgiveness. We so need that. Adultery destroys trust, causes feelings of betrayal, causes feelings of abandonment. Then there's the humiliation that a woman feels when other people find out, friends find out about what their husband did to them, or vice versa. It's a sin against your spouse. Number two, it's a sin against your children. What happens in a home when there's infidelity, when there's adultery, when there's that breach of trust in the home? Harmony is lost. Now when the husband and wife meet somewhere in the house, they're throwing things. They're, they're words that come out. They're things that fly across the room. And the kids, the kids, they're in between it all. The kids get damaged as a result of all the chaos in the home. The, the kids are threatened with a loss of security. They need mom and dad to love them and, and keep their world whole. But, but dad's out of control and mom is, is a wreck. And the kids 
will suffer. It's a sin against your children. Do you remember what happened to David's children? His firstborn son from that relationship died. Do you remember the other children of David after David committed that sin of adultery? Ammon raped his half-sister Tamar. David's son Absalom took his father's concubines to himself. Sexual immorality. It has a way of filtering its way right down to your kids. Parents, you do not want to ever be close to the sin. It destroys. It destroys your spouse. It destroys your kids. And they live a consequence on and on and on. It's a damning sin. My point really is sexual sin messes up many lives beyond your own. It's a very, very selfish and, and hurtful and heart, uh, a sin that brings heartache to all the people around. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 because I want to show you here where Jesus reveals some, really tr- some great truth about um, adultery. And this is really important because there's some in here that think, well, I've never committed adultery. I've been married for, like, this is our, oh, what year? This is 40, wait, 41? 41. I got the okay. 41 years. Um, we We were married at 20. And I'm an advocate of early marriage. I think early marriage is good because you haven't learned a bunch of bad habits. When you get married older, you got a bunch of bad habits, and, and he does. Man, he does this, and he does that, and it's, that's the toothpaste and the toilet roll and all those little dumb things that don't really mean anything, but they drive you crazy, my husband, my wife, or whatever. When you're young and dumb, you know, 20 years old, doesn't matter, you, you do whatever, you know, and you're just happy to be together, and it's, it was wonderful. We got married when we were 20, but I want to show you here um, what Jesus is saying about the physical act of adultery, we're, we're to abstain from that, but it's not enough. It's not enough to just abstain from that physical act of adultery. Notice in verse 27 of Matthew 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not commit adultery. He's referring to Exodus 20, verse 14. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes on with a remedy. This is radical. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your your members perish than for your whole body to go to hell. Wow. Wow, Jesus. I thought you were all grace and truth. Notice verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you to one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Wow. Again, Jesus is telling us there's there's more than one way, the physical act, to to break this command. Pastor Lee, you just kind of bummed me out. I mean, I I haven't committed it, and now you're making me feel like I have. Well, that's probably because you have. Guilty as charged. There's no one in this room that can't raise their hand and say, I'm guilty as charged. I don't care who you are. No, Pastor, that's not me. Yes, it is. Stop it. Next week, you'll be busted again because you're a liar. Stop it. Just because you didn't pay a prostitute or just because you haven't had an extramarital affair or premarital sex, fornication, it's all the same. Fornica- Again, if you're young in this room, you've not been married, fornication, you're breaking this seventh commandment by having sex before marriage. It's wrong. Praise the Lord for a church that told me, you better not do that. I had more than one bony finger, you know, 80-year-old finger stuck in my face. said, you better not touch that young little Esther. You better be careful. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. The church that I went to, they focused on holiness. They wanted you to live a holy. That's a good thing. We need to be holy. God's holy. We need to walk in holiness. And in order to do that, you need to know what the commandments are, and then you obey those commands, and and it brings liberty and freedom and joy for the believer. Really important that you understand that. But if you think you're perfect with regard to this particular command, consider your lust. Can I just say that? I'll just be honest. 
The elephant in the room is your lust. It's your lust. We all have it. Men, I think I'm talking to you a little bit more than my sisters here in the room. But notice that Jesus connects lust with what? With H-E double toothpicks. Did you see that? He does. It's right there. He says, it's better for you to, to pluck your eye out or cut your hand off than to be thrown and, and go to heaven maimed than be cast into hell because of your lust. Do you see that? In other words, now Jesus doesn't want us to cut hands off because I wouldn't have any and neither would you. You wouldn't have eyes. We'd be, we'd be really a sick group of people in here. But what Jesus is saying is he wants you to deal with your sin radically. Cut it off. Pluck it out. That's what Jesus is saying. Because you're better off to deal with it radically than go to hell. He, he is really advocating that here. It's very interesting. Look at verse 28. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in her heart. Again, every man in the room knows exactly what Jesus is saying here. And if you think you're perfect, you're not. You've struck out when it comes to this as well. So the question here is, as I look at this first, why does Jesus here in Matthew 5, why does he connect the two? Why does he connect lust with hell? And I believe this is the answer because he knows how powerful it is. He knows that lust will finally control you. If you don't put that fire out right away, like Joseph, no. If you don't have no in your vocabulary and no as purpose in your heart like Daniel or like Joseph, if you don't have no in there, you're going to be slowly burning, slowly burning, and pretty soon you're going to be consumed by fire. You need to have no. You need to look away. When you see the curve of another woman, you need to look away. When the cleavage is there, you need to look away, men. Whether it's on TV or a movie or wherever it is, you need to look away. Now, again, I'm just like you men. I struggle with this just like any other person. But I know what the Scripture says. And so I'm quick. I believe I'm quick. Maybe the Holy Spirit needs to quicken me even more, but I think I'm quick to go, oops, you know, uh, honey. We need to have that in our heart, men. You need a purpose in your heart right away. People who are caught up with sexual sins that include, listen, it includes pornography. Men, this includes pornography. Well, I'm not married, and I haven't struggled with that, and I say no, I look away, but... I'm on the internet late at night and nobody can see and I'm just clicking away. Pornography. If you look at that, you've committed this, you've broken this law, the seventh commandment. I've heard, I've heard all the excuses from men. Well, Pastor Lee, you know, my wife, she just isn't as pretty as she used to be. What? How dare you say that? My wife doesn't satisfy me as much as she used to. How dare you say that? It's my, my job is really stressful, and, and I needed a relief. How dare you say that? You're sinning against God. It's not your job. It's not your wife. It's, it's not about you. It's about obedience to Almighty God and His command. God's prohibition against Adultery is not to ruin a man's fun. It's meant to protect. All of these laws, remember when I presented them to you at the very beginning, I said they have a negative aspect, but they're all positive. The result of living under this law and not committing adultery is positive. Your marriage becomes greater. Your love for your wife or your husband becomes even more expressive. It's better. It's greater when you live according to God's law. Now, there's one more area here that this command speaks to, and it's fornication or premarital sex. I had to throw this in there because I have one son. I, I know there's other young men here that will actually listen to this uh, CD, and I want to get this on the record. From a biblical point of view or standpoint, all sex outside of marriage is a breach of this seventh command. And more importantly, there are lifelong consequences to breaking this law before you're married. Again, I thank God for those in my life. 
Boy, I, there's so many things I could say. I remember one night, and, and no, we didn't do anything weird in the car. But I used to take Esther home on Wednesday night from church in my 1970 Camaro 350 RS with Krager mags, a little bit hijackers. I mean, center console. It had a center console, so that, that's what saved us, I think. But we had pulled up out in front of the house, and we would sit and talk, and we're teenagers. We just said, we're 17, or I think it was 18 when I bought that car. 18, 19, we got married at 20. And I remember being out in front of the house, and one night we were there, and we're talking, and all of a sudden, I look in the porch light. It was going like this. <laughs> My mother-in-law was in there going, looking out the window. My, my children should ask her about that. I wonder if she remembers. But there were, there were people in our lives to help us, help us. It's so important that you understand that fornication or premarital sex is a breach of the seventh commandments. Again, young men, if you choose to go on on a date with a, 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 a young lady, you should treat her with respect and honor. You should be very careful to maintain her purity and holiness. Young ladies, young ladies, listen, ladies, do you dress modestly around the men? This culture, we just, everybody wants to dress like Gaga. It's just bizarre. And then, and then some women, some women wonder why the men are gagaing them. All I can tell you is that men are all about eyes, ladies. Christian ladies, young girls, I should say, you need to dress modestly. Dress modestly. That, that causes the purity of that relation, holiness in that relationship. Dress modestly. It's the wedding night that you get, you get all that stuff at your wedding, right, ladies? You got that at your, your uh, uh, the shower, right? You go to the shower and everybody gives you stuff that it's like, why is this box so light? It was weird, you know. <laughs> that's, that's for later. That's all for later. <laughs> I'm just warning you because premarital sex is a violation of this seventh command. If you're unfaithful now, you'll hurt your relationship later. Preserve yourself. Trust the Lord. Let me give you five steps real quick in closing. Five steps to protect against adultery. This is for, for young or old. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. Pay attention. I'm going to rip through these really quick. Five steps. Number one, walk with God. Walk with God. Paul in Galatians 5 says this, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you defend against the lust of the flesh and the flashing eyes and the pursuit and the, the immodest dress? You walk in the Spirit. You read your Bible in the morning. You pray. And you trust the Lord and you walk with Jesus. Moment by moment, you trust the Lord. You walk with God. You listen to praise songs. You listen to Christian radio and, and music. Keep your mind and heart focused on the Lord. And when you do that daily, you can stand temptation. Paul in Ephesians 6, in that wonderful passage about the armor of God, he says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's how you do it. You walk with the Lord. You put on the armor of God. Number two, number two, you avoid suggestive activities. Psalm 101, verse 3, we actually have this. Well, we, it's not near our TV right now, but my wife likes to put it up in front of the TV, which is a really good place for it. This scripture here, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Put no unholy thing before your eyes. You have to avoid that. You have to turn away. That includes TV and movies and internet and pornography. Don't allow your eyes to go there. You have, you have volition. You have will. You have to exercise that. Number three, Avoid flirty relationships. Proverbs 5, verse 3 says this. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. They're sweet. And her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. I, I love that verse. Stay away from it. Keep your distance from the flirtatious woman or man. Don't go to lunch with a coworker. If you're a Christian man, you should never go to lunch alone with a, a woman. 
even if it's, she's your, your wife's best friend. You just shouldn't do it. With other people, yes, but not alone. You should never do that. Flirtation ends in big-time adultery. I say that because nobody wakes up one morning and says, I just think I'm going to do this today. Flirtation and, and that fire that starts in a little way and it burns and it gets out of control. Number four, count the cost. In Luke 9, Jesus said, no one having has put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about walking with the Lord. He's talking about being serious as a follower of Christ. No, and he's using this metaphor of someone plowing a field. The, the, the farmer never looks backwards. He looks forward to make sure that plow and the fur, furrow are, are plowing straight. For you and I as Christians, we, we need to hold on to that plow and we need to keep going straight down the path and we need to follow and obey all of God's laws. Adultery causes incredible damage to your spouse and your children. But you know who it mostly hurts? The Lord. He died for your sin. It hurts him. He made you holy. He's regenerated you. He's made you a new person in Christ. And then you commit by willful volition, an act of adultery. It's wrong. It hurts the Lord. Nobody, not nobody, but no body, no lustful situation is worth all that you're going to lose. It's not worth it. A pastor friend of mine, I won't mention his name, but years and years ago, he said, Lee, when I, I said, how, how could you do this? Years later, I said, how, how, did, how could you do that? Years after he was restored, not to the pastorate, never was restored. I don't believe that a pastor should be put back in the pastorate if they commit this sin. I just don't believe it. They could be assistant. They can serve in the ministry in that regard, but I don't believe they should be a senior or over at all. And in his case, he is, is kind of a, an assistant in his role in a church, but not out front. And I truly believe, when he told me, he said, Lee, it was, I was so deceived. I tried to hide this from everybody. Even when they came to me and with, the, with the recording of me saying what I had done, a live recording of my voice, I denied it. I denied it. I denied it. I wouldn't admit it. Sin does that to you. It corrupts you. And you run and you hide. That's what happened. The cost. You need to count the cost. And then finally... To end on a positive note, number five, love your mate only. Love your mate only. It's Proverbs 5, and it's, it's an interesting proverb. I'll just read quickly. It's a metaphor. The writer of the Proverbs, Solomon, is giving us a metaphor of water being like sexuality. It's water is your sexuality. And he says, control it, contain it. Let me just read from Proverbs 5. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. He's talking about marriage, relationship, and sexuality in that relationship. Drink water at home. Do your own at home. This is your own. This, you, you belong to one another, as, as Corinthians says. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, that's stepping outside of the marriage relationship, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own not for a stranger with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Here's where the metaphor kind of starts to change, and you'll understand what he's saying. He says, as a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he, the Lord, ponders all his paths. Solomon is saying this. He said, listen, don't waste your energy outside of that relationship, but invest your energy in that marriage relationship. I, I always get excited when I read that verse. I, amen to that. Amen. My advice. Listen, here's my advice. Husbands. Have an affair with your wife. Start it tonight. Have an affair with your wife. Love her in new ways by 
by being the man that she needs you to be in, in words and in deeds and actions. Build her up in a way that she just like, I, I wouldn't want to be around any other man. I, I, I'm so satisfied with my husband that, that even to look at another man is just, out, and, and husbands, you, you're so focused on your wife that no other woman in the world matters, and she knows it. Look for ways to keep your romance al alive. As soon as you stop working on your marriage relationship, it goes stale and it goes south and it does it fast. I've seen it. You need to keep it alive. It's, it's up to you to do those things. Pursue your wife. Pursue your husband. Love them graciously. I, I love this command because this is how I'm going to end this. Thou shalt not commit adultery is a very positive statement because it celebrates it celebrates this bond, this human sexuality that God has created within the confines of the marriage relationship. Celebrates it. Don't do it outside, but do it within. God has ordained it, and it celebrates the sanctity of marriage. So this seventh commandment, not to commit adultery, it, it's really a commandment to cherish and honor what God has established. The writer of Hebrews says this in closing, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Listen, if, if, if you find yourself tonight in the place of adulterer, you can be forgiven. You need to just 1 John 1, 9. And I don't say that glibly or simply. You go to the Lord and you confess your sin like David did in Psalm 51. You confess your sin, and as you do, God graciously forgives you. Adultery is forgivable. If your husband has committed adultery, ladies, you need to forgive him. But you don't know how hard that is, Pastor Lee. No, I, I probably don't. I don't know the depths of the hurt that you've gone through. But I do know a God that loves you. I, knew a, I know a God that has grace enough and sufficient enough to, to help you through that. I know a God that restores marriage. I know a God that forgives every sin. I know a God that grace covers, covers, eradicates sin as far as the East is from. That's the God I know. If you struggle with that tonight, you need to come to him. If you struggle with pornography tonight, you need to come to him. But as a church, let's celebrate marriage. Let's celebrate. It's good. It's wholesome. God's created it for you in the bond the unity, the union of, of marriage. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. And I thank you for these people that have come to hear the truth of your word. And I just ask, Father, first of all, that if there are those here tonight that have not, they just have not come to you and asked forgiveness. Maybe they feel so corrupt or dirty that they are ashamed to come to you. Lord, that you would help them to come that they would seek your grace and seek your forgiveness and see their great sin like David did. Their sin is not against just another human. It's against you. And may they find forgiveness with you, Father. And Lord, for marriages not only represented here tonight but in our church, will not you bless them? will not you encourage them? Oh, Lord, Life is too short to be angry and picky and frustrated when you have created such a beautiful union marriage to be celebrated, to be enjoyed. How we thank you and how we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.